Good morning. My name is Zach. I am the pastor of Community and Global Outreach here. And I really like the timing of the, the way the loop ended because we're talking about missionary care and prayer team. And we have some missionaries here with us today. We've got Dan and Alma Elliott here from Albania. And we've been partnering with you guys, Dan, you said earlier, 35 years? Yeah, 35 years. And so just quick little preface, Alma does a lot of work with teachers in the community, or, or not just your guys' community now, more than that. And then Dan does a lot of work with some of the business leaders in the area. And um, we're gonna have them share real briefly, but you may notice that there's a few other people down there. Um, we, we've got a small group of people that are part of that missionary care and prayer team, and we're wanting to continue to grow it, but we've got a few of them up here just to kind of show the care and support for our missionaries. So Alma, you, I know last time you had some neat stories to share. Yes. <laughs> I thank you so much for having us uh, here today. Uh, I'm Alma Elliot, and uh, I've been um, working as a missionary in Albania for 30 years this September, which is unbelievable, as soon as um, Albania freed up from communism. <laughs> um, so for those 20, for 19 years, I've served in student ministry and uh, uh, national ministry, but this last 11 years, I've been serving with teachers, and I'm enjoying it a lot. Um, there are so many stories that I could share with you, but I want to share just my two, uh, two things that have given me most joy, especially this last year. Um, you know that pandemics hit globally and there were all kinds of things, bad things that happened also, but for our ministry, it gave us possibilities. Like uh, until uh, 2020, we were serving with teachers ministry only in two cities of Albania. And uh, just because of the pandemics, we've, we are serving now in seven cities, just this last three years. Yeah, it is amazing. and. Um, and that happened only because we started with webinars from seminars, meeting physically, we were having webinars and we were having teachers from all over Albania and Kosovo and Macedonia, in fact. And then just last year, um, so this is one of those joys for this last year, is that uh, this small town Bilisht is the southeast of Albania. Um, they were having teachers um, that were coming to our webinars and we wanted to reach out and be with them physically. So this uh, pastor of a, a local church reached out to us and told us, can we partner together because we have teachers that would be interested here. So uh, we, uh, with the help of God, went and did a physical seminar in September. Uh, and there were around 35 uh, teachers that came to this seminar. And that after that, we had um, 12 teachers that came to an evangelistic small group that started throughout the year. And out of those 12 teachers, we are having now seven teachers coming to our family camp that will happen in July next month. So praise God for that. Just within one year, we've seen so much fruit there. And one another thing that I that has given me much joy this uh, last year, especially, is um, um, just uh, I I was very busy the year before leading small groups, many small groups, but I didn't know where individuals were with God, and so I made a decision that while I'm leading some small groups, I'm going to focus on one one uh, one on one discipleship. So I was meeting with. Uh, five uh, women, and I want to share the story especially of uh, 
Olta. Um, you, my husband can tell you every time I would come uh, home from this one-on-one uh, uh, -on -one meetings, I would be so joyful, <laughs> um, full, filled with joy. But um, so in these lessons like that I was doing throughout this year, we were teaching these basic things about what is true about you when you come to Christ. So when you sin, what can you do? Where do you get the power? Um, uh, for Christian life and how can we grow vertically with God and horizontally. So um, when I came, just the, the first week of June, uh, I was doing this last lesson about how to grow with Olta and I challenged Olta and I said, Olta, you are, there is so much potential in you and God has would love to use you if you and you have such a good heart and responsive heart towards him if you could just let him he can use you mightily and she said i'm ready alma i'm ready to be used by god mm -hmm. and then i said but you need to start and be committed to him first and foremost before you start and be committed to other people and being used by god so i challenged her to start and read the gospel of luke and then the next week i called her and I said, have you started it? And she said, yes. And just this last Thursday, while I was here, in fact, in Oregon, she wrote me this message. I am reminding myself how much I have put myself too low or belittled myself and I've been sad and victimized and lived like a victim when I am a daughter of light, a new creation of the almighty God. And I should not be of little faith. I should not be fearful for tomorrow. So praise be to God. This have, yeah. Well, I just want to say how much we appreciate Rolling Hills. Um, I joined this church in 1985 and uh, was discipled uh, by Bill Town uh, worked to work with 11th graders in the youth ministry a um, long, long time ago. But in 1988, God called me to serve behind the Iron Curtain uh, with crew uh, in Poland. And so I moved there, and then five years later, I, I moved to Albania, and we've been there ever since. <clears throat> but throughout this time, um, you all have not just supported us financially, but have been involved with us with prayer, sending us out, and also partnering with us. Um, we had uh, teams from, uh, for Project Arrow, which was a Jesus film project, a show of the Jesus film, in all the villages of Albania. And I think for five or six years, uh, Rolling Hills sent teams to join us in that effort. Uh, in addition, um, we've partnered together with you to build two uh, uh, playgrounds uh, together with Kids uh, in the World, I think that's the name of the organization, um, and Rolling Hills. Uh, and we had teams come over and, and build those for us. And so we just want to say thank you that you have been not only uh, praying for us and helping us financially, but also serving with us and blessing us uh, throughout all these years, 35 years that you've been with, with us as missionaries. So thank you so much. Um, we're going to just take a second and pray for them. If you guys want to extend your hands out while we're doing that, um, I'm just going to say a prayer and then I'll give one last plug for them. Uh, Father, I just thank you for this time. I thank you that you allow us to, to hang out with our friends and uh, partners in ministry. Um, I, I do pray that you'll continue to allow us to be a source, not just of you know, financial support, but emotional encouragement and relational encouragement as well for them. 
uh, God, I do just lift them up, and I just pray that as they are spending time uh, stateside caring for family, that you will find ways to continue to pour into them and give them strength. Um, Lord, we do just lift up the ministry that they have over in Albania as well. We thank you for the ways that you are moving, your spirit is moving and drawing people to you. We pray that you'll continue to use them in that. And if there's doors for us to come join them, we pray that you'll open those doors for us, Lord. Um, we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. So after the gathering, uh, we will be having a little bit of a reception uh, down in the front room. Don't ask me why it's called the front room, but it's all the way down there um, past the children's center churns. If you guys want to join us. Thanks, Zach. Good morning, my faith family. I'm Jen Branson. I'm one of the pastors here, and it is so wonderful to be here with you this morning. Happy summer, because summer is here, right? The weather is great outside. Oh, I love it. So this morning I woke up a little early because I wake up early on Sunday. Sunday is not a day I get to sleep in. It's 6.20, I'm sitting reading my Bible, drinking my coffee, and I hear this noise. Psh! Any idea what I heard? We are in the path, flight path, of hot air balloons. And for an hour and a half, I got to hear or see um, hot air balloons moving over our house. It was so amazing. This is what happens when you wake up early in the morning. If you are ever in a hot air balloon, I'd like to share with you that uh, people can hear your conversations below. <laughs> yeah. So I, um, so I want to little make a public announcement. So if you are saying things up there that you don't want anyone to hear, they can hear you. It's amazing. I don't ever want to be in one, but boy, was it cool up there. So beautiful day. If you were one of those people flying in a hot air balloon, uh, hope you had a good little flight. It was so gorgeous this morning if you were up. Well, hello, I'm so glad to be with you. Um, it is so fun to be able to come and be a part of this Genesis series. Since January, we have been studying the book of Genesis, and we're not too far because there's 50 chapters in this book, and we've been moving along in this story. It begins with God speaking the world into creation. He spoke the world and it was, Right out of the gate, Adam and Eve, he makes them in his image. We are the only ones that are made in his image as humanity. And God told them to go and live. And then in Genesis chapter 3, you find them making choices that God did not intend. And sin enters the world. There's brokenness between us and our relationship with God. And after that, Genesis, the author, moves at a rapid pace. He is clipping away really fast, and he is talking to people, people like Noah. There's a flood. And God is speaking to people, and it's moving. The author is moving so, so fast. And all of the sudden, in chapter 12, if you've ever driven a stick shift, the author is shifting down. And now Genesis is moving at a slow speed because God shows up in the life of Abraham. And in chapter 12, Bill um, talked about this on Mother's Day. So if you wanna go back and review this message, it was amazing. In chapter 12, God calls this guy, Abram, out of the land of Ur and says, follow me. Abram at the time was not following God. And he says, 
follow me, Abram. I am going to make you a great nation. People will be blessed because of you. And he has this dialogue and Abram responds to God and he obeys and he follows this God. And so since Genesis chapter 12, and now we're in 20, is the life of Abram, this man that faithfully follows after God. But he is far from perfect. He is not a perfect guy. And if you've ever read Genesis at all, you know that this book is messy. And sometimes you're like, Lord, you're okay with this mess and us reading about it for thousands of years, but it doesn't take away any of who God is and his character. In fact, it shows his faithfulness. It shows his love for us. And in Genesis, he is showing you us. What does it look like to follow him? So last week, Bill shared in a message how Abram's name turned to Abraham and his wife, Sarai, her name turns to Sarah. And God meets them and says again his promise to them that they will have a son. The problem that we encounter is that Abram and Sarah do not have children. And God has said to them, you will be a father of a great nation. Problem is, he doesn't have kids. He does, they do take matters in their own hands, and we've talked about that in the weeks past, but God was really specific that this time between Abraham and Sarah, because of their union, they will have a child. And in one year's time, when God speaks to them, they will have a child. That's what we just talked about last week. So here we are in a story, Abraham's story, and him following God. And you know, I kind of want to sometimes when I read Abraham's story, kind of hit my head, you know, a little bit and go, or roll my eyes and go, seriously, Abraham, this is the choices you're making? Really? But I can't be judgmental because even though I'm not making the same choices he's making, I can relate to him because sometimes old habits kind of creep back into your life, even when you know better you don't do better. Like you're like, oh, oh, that's a struggle for me. Well, this is where we're in in um, in Genesis chapter 20. We are going to study together. Abraham knows better. And he still finds himself doing old patterns. And I, like I said, I want to be judgmental of him, but I can't because I know better too. When I was a teenager, I was a real sass, really disrespectful really knew how to use my words for the wrong. My parents are here today. They don't live here, but they're visiting. And if you're sitting by them, they're kind of over there. Um, you're hearing them probably laugh and going, she's got, well, they might even say she's downplaying it because I was really disrespectful. And it got me in a lot of trouble. I was not good in school, but let me tell you, if you could get a grade in sass and disrespect, I was getting an A. Teenagers in the room, don't follow my suit. It will not go well for you. Don't be a gen. Here's the thing is it, it re, I could use my words to uplift people or I could use them to hurt people. And sometimes when I was a teenager, sometimes I didn't care and I wasn't aware of what I was doing and I, 
could be really hurtful. So one day in my late teen years, me and my dad were in our front yard. And my dad had a way of being able to speak into my life that nobody else could. And he could say tough things when I didn't want to hear them from other people. He could say it. And my dad said, Jen, your words can be really hurtful. You, you got to be mindful of this. And he was basically saying, you have a choice. How do you want to use your words to build people up or to tear them down? And so from that moment, in fact, my dad and I were just talking about this last week. And I said, do you remember where, it, where you told me that, Dad? He goes, yeah, our front yard. So it's a big memory in both of our lives. And the thing is, is God started me on a journey because my teen years were a long time ago. And God started me on a journey of what does it look like if you use your words in a way that honors him, honors God. And he called me into obedience by looking at his scriptures and lots of prayer and accountability. And slowly I got to see God do transformative work in my life. His Holy Spirit began to work in my life. Now, I was not perfect by any means, but he, I began to see victory because God was doing the work. Well, this last late winter, I was really, really stressed out and really upset over something. And if you know me, I sleep at night no matter what. That has never been an issue in my life. But this one night, I couldn't sleep because this one area was really stressing me out. And you know when you just fall asleep and your alarm goes off? I think I had been asleep maybe one or two hours. I was like, really, this is it? I mean, I had been up all night. And the moment I woke up, the same thing that was stressing me out was still stressing me out, and I was really upset about it, so I began to cry. And not the cute little couple tears in your eye, you know, the ugly cry where you're just crying. And I cried for the next four hours, straight. I was, I was just a mess. I was emotionally, physically, mentally exhausted. And I had finally kind of pulled it together. I was no longer crying. And I was pulled in to meet with someone and they asked me a question. And in that moment of exhaustion, most physically, emotionally, mentally, old patterns came out. And I was hurtful with my words. And as they were coming out of my mouth, the old gen ways, I was like, it was almost like I could watch myself doing it. Like, no, 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 come here, come, come backwards. But I just kept going. And I'm like, what's going on? Come back, come back, come back. And I remember saying to myself, this isn't who you are. Why are you choosing this? You know it doesn't lead to anything good. And it was like, it just came out it's too easy. That old struggle, that old sin just, ugh. And as it came out, I remember at one point stopping and going, this isn't who I am. 
I am so sorry. And I told the person, this is an area that I have seen God work great in my life. And then what just happened? And I had to ask for forgiveness. I asked for forgiveness a bunch of times and I was really upset with myself because I knew better. And here's the thing. In the days to come, I could have chosen to take the shame spiral and gone, I'm the worst, ugh, God. And just said, you can't use me anymore, it's over. I could have done that. But in the days to come, I knew what I needed to do and I needed to run to God. Because I knew that if I let myself just go down that shame spiral, that wasn't gonna do anyone good. And so when we find ourselves in Genesis chapter 20, looking at a portion of Abraham's life, I so want to be judgmental. And yet I find myself going, Abraham, I understand sometimes that thought pattern of how you are, you're following God, but all of a sudden you're like, I'm making a choice that doesn't honor him. I get it. So that's what we're gonna do today. We are gonna look at Genesis chapter 20, and we are gonna look at a story that, you know what, I'm grateful that we have today because it helps us understand that even when in our following God, God knows we're not perfect, just like he knew Abraham wasn't perfect, and he still invites us to follow him. What a gracious, loving God. So turn with me to Genesis chapter 20. Last week, I, like I said, uh, Bill shared with us that Abraham is visited by God and Abraham says, hey, you and Sarah in a year's time are going to have a child together. Sarah is advanced in years. We know that because she has left her childbearing years. And let me tell you, she's a pretty one. Even though she's aging, she sure is a pretty one. And we know this because in Genesis chapter 12, it focuses on Sarah's beauty. And when they are in Egypt, he's like, hey, tell people you're my sister because they're gonna destroy me because you're so pretty. So, and, he, and here we are, same story, different city. Here we go, ready? Let's begin. Abraham has moved from the trees of Mamre, and he has, he has gone south into the area of Gerar. This is where the Philistines are living. And so in Genesis chapter 20, verse two, here is what it says. And there, Abraham said of his wife, she's my sister. Then Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent for Sarah and took her. In those days, a king could do whatever they wanted. If they saw something that was pleasing to them, saw something they wanted, it was no problem for them to just take. And so he, the author, Moses, knows that this kind of story has taken place in chapter 12. It's kind of like toggling back to 12. And he, and so there isn't some description here because we've been, it's been described in chapters before. She's a beautiful woman. Yeah, she's a half-sister. I know, this is weird. I don't get it. I don't understand it. But it is. 
And here he is married, but he is married. This is his wife who he is supposed to take care of, love, support, do the best for. And what is he saying again? He moves to a different area and he's like, hey, I know you're pretty and these people are gonna wanna take you into their household again. It didn't work in Egypt, Abraham. It's not gonna work for you in Philistine country. And so here he t- um, Abimelech takes Sarah into his house. And here's where the story unfolds, where we can kind of roll our eyes and go, oh, Abraham, I don't think this is gonna work out for you. Let's keep going. So Sarah is in Abimelech's household. We don't know when this actually takes place, but some moment of when she enters his household, God talks to him. So let's look at verse three. But God came to Abimelech in a dream one night and said to him, you are as good as dead because of the woman you have taken. She is a married woman. Now Abimelech had not gone near her, so he said, Lord, will you destroy an innocent nation? Did he not say to me, he's talking about Abraham, she is my sister, and didn't she say also, he is my brother? I have done this with a clear conscience and clean hands. Then God said to him in the dream, yes, I know you did this with a clear conscience, and so I have kept you from sinning against me. That is why I did not let you touch her. Who didn't allow Abimelech to touch her? God's hand of protection has been on her life because he just told Abraham and Sarah, you will have a child and it will be because of your union, not a union here off with Abimelech. God has protected her. Now return the man's wife for he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you will live. Now we're gonna come back to that, so hold that thought. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. Dun, dun, dun. So early the next morning, Abimelech goes to his officials and he's like, listen to what happened to me last night. Now, so you understand ancient culture right here in the Middle East, it was normal for rulers, different people to have dreams where they felt like a God spoke to them. This wasn't out of the box thinking. But here, a man in Philistine country, a guy who is probably most likely not following Yahweh, has a dream and God speaks to him. And how does he respond? He responds, Lord. He responds in recognizing who God is. And he says, I'm innocent. I'm innocent. Don't kill me. He acknowledges who God is and says, I haven't done anything wrong. And God's like, you're right. You haven't done anything wrong because I haven't let you. And here he responds in faith to God. And just a few verses before, who is not? Abraham is struggling here. 
He is not trusting God because he's up to old patterns. And here, see, the, see how the author wants you to see these characters? And here, Abimelech, this king of Gerar, is responding to God. Well, his officials, they freak out when Abimelech tells them. And they're like, what? Oh, my goodness. They are so afraid. They don't want to be destroyed. And so what they do is Abimelech calls Abraham in and says, what have you done to us? How have I wronged you that you bring such a great guilt upon me and my kingdom? Isn't that interesting how Abimelech doesn't just see this between him? He knows that this is going to this is going to destroy his land, his people. And so he goes, "You have done these things to me that should never have been done." And Abimelech asked Abraham, "What was your reason? Why would you do this?" Here's Abraham's response. Oh, Abraham. Okay, Abraham replied, well, I said to myself, this is surely no fear of God in this place and they will kill me because of my wife, because she's a beauty. And uh, besides, she really is my sister and daughter of my father, though she's not of my mother, and she became my wife. And when God had made me wander from my father's household, I said to her, this is how you can show your love to me. Everywhere we go, say to me, say of me, he is my brother. He's looking out for himself, huh? Don't you see that? Are you looking out for Sarah, Abraham? Because it looks like you're just looking out for yourself. And here he responds like, I just assumed you guys didn't fear God, so this is my this is how I went about it. And here Abimelech actually responds to God. Abraham gives an answer full of assumptions. And here's the thing. He knows full well back in Egypt, in Genesis chapter 12, it didn't go well for him either. But he's up to those old habits. Well, Abimelech responds by lavishing Sarah and Abraham with a lot of stuff. He gives them animals, sheep and cattle. He gives them um, some silver shekels, a thousand. It's that interesting. And so he bays and he vindicates Sarah. He also says, live wherever you want. Go ahead. You can live anywhere in my land. Because he's like, you're not a threat to me. I know who your God is. Go ahead. Abraham had a lot, a lot of wealth. And so with him came a lot with him. It wasn't just like Sarah and him and, you know, they got their little bag. It was a lot of people. And so Abimelech's like, live wherever you want. It's okay with me. We're good, right? Now, remember when it said, in, when God said in the dream, he said, you go ask Abraham, He's my prophet. Remember when it said that? I'll go back to verse seven. Verse seven, it says, now return the man's wife, Abraham, for he is a prophet and he will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, you may be sure that you and all who belong to you will die. So basically his entire household. This is the first time that God uses the word prophet. 
And a prophet in those days was, you know, a lot of times when we think of prophet, we think of someone that foretells the future. That was a portion of what they did, but what really their main job was, they listened to God and they told others. And so a prophet would hear God and tell people. And here Abraham is told, you will pray for them and it will restore them. So that's where we find us at the end of the chapter in verse 17. Then Abraham prayed to God and God healed Abimelech and his wife and his female slaves so they could have children again. For the Lord had kept all the women in Abimelech's household from conceiving because of Abraham's wife, Sarah. Now, in our culture, that seems a little bit odd. But here's the thing. In Abimelech's culture, if you didn't have a male heir, you were as good as dead. If you didn't have someone that carried on your name, you were over. No one was going to take the throne for you. No one was gonna carry on your legacy. And so you were over. You're decimated, no more. Because that is how they kept their family line going. And God was like, I will not let your family line keep going until Abraham the prophet prayed for Abimelech's household and God restored Abimelech's house. And I think it's interesting because here we are reading about Abimelech. His name didn't go away. God used Abraham to pray for healing and through that prayer, God healed Abimelech's household. Abraham just messed up and God used him. A man that's not perfect, a man that shows unrepeat sin again. And God's like, I'm still gonna use you. Different city, same method. We watch Abraham have these amazing faith moments. And then we watch Abraham going, really? Didn't you learn from last time? And in that moment, I go, huh, kind of sounds like us humans today. One moment I can be trusting God and just, oh, I'm so excited, Lord, we can do this. Your spirit, I, I want your spirit to work through my life. And then the next moment I'm like, why am I choosing old habits? Habits that I knew, no, full well are not good. They don't honor God. They don't honor the people around me. They're not good for my life. And I'm like, I know better. I get him. I get that area that is a struggle. And instead of turning to God, I turn to the struggle. I know better, and even when I've seen God work in my life, and the thing is, is he has worked in my life, and he was working in Abraham's life. Uh, Bill talked about that. Abraham's faith journey was growing, and he still chose what he shouldn't have chosen. And in that moment of weakness, when we choose what we know we shouldn't choose, what we know won't lead to anything good, what do we do? What we see here in this story with Abraham is that Abraham responds to God and follows him. Now you might be going, well, I don't know where you're totally getting that, Jen. 
It's in his prayer, but it's also in the chapters that follow. Abraham continues to follow after God. God does not give up on Abraham, and Abraham does not give up on God. So that is a great thing for us to remember, that even though we are in this, maybe we're struggling with something, and we might mess up, and we might find ourselves frustrated in our walks with God, don't beat yourself up and just think about all that negative self-talk. That negative self-talk is gonna take you to dark places. It's gonna make you wanna hide from God. It's gonna make you wanna run from God. But what God is calling us to when we are frustrated and we know we haven't chosen the way God wants us to live is we are to respond to him. I know you love me, God. I know you exist and I want to talk to you. Tell him what's going on. Tell him what you did. He already knows, but there is something so good in healing when we say, this is what I did. God, this is my stuff. And you know what God's gonna do? He is gonna take you right back. He is gonna love you and he's gonna receive you because that is who he is. And the reason why we know that is because his scripture, the entire Old and New Testament, has people that are unperfect, that they just... They, when they came back to him, he embraced them. He says, come to me. We don't have to have it all figured out. That's the amazing thing about God. He does. And so we come to him in our frailty and we go, I messed up. I gotta be honest with you, God. And we receive and accept his forgiveness that he freely gives to us. And then we ask God to guide our next steps. We ask forgiveness and then we say, God, I need you to guide me in this area. Maybe he's gonna point you to his scripture. Like he points me to James chapter three when it talks about the tongue. And then what does it look like to honor him with my mouth? Maybe you need to have accountability around you and you need to have people that are followers of Jesus holding you accountable encouraging you when you're like, I messed up again. It's okay, keep going, keep your eyes on Jesus. We were built for community. That is the way God designed us. And so he wants us to respond to him and he wants us to care about each other. And so maybe we ask people to join us in this journey. Maybe part of it is what, you, what you're struggling with is what me and I had to go and I had to talk to that person I wronged and I had to make it right. So maybe your step forwards are you have to make that better. You have to ask for forgiveness. You have to oh, have an honest apology. Here's the thing. God invites us when we know that we've messed up to come back to him. And he loves us so much. And so talk to him. He's ready to hear from you. Put the shame aside. Because that there's shame is not what God intends for us. He doesn't want us to feel shame. He wants us to be honest. 
but he doesn't want us to feel shame. So we put the shame aside and we go to him and we say, I don't have this figured out, God, but you do. And you're gonna help me with this path. And you know what? I can stand here today and say, I'm really glad I didn't choose that shame cycle. I'm really glad I chose to run to God. Because in that moment of real hurt, because I was hurting before and then I was hurting because I made the bad choice, God brought me a lot of healing. And I felt his love and his acceptance. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for who you are. God, we thank you for your word because as Abraham is this father of faith, he's such a giant when it comes to people that have followed after you. He's also a real guy. And thank you that we get to see him follow you and we get to also see where he didn't follow you, but how he returned to you and he responds to you. Lord, may we be people that follow you always. And even when we're struggling and we're hurting, Lord, may we run to you, not away from you, because you are a good, loving God who accepts us right where we're at. And Lord, if there's people in this room that are, they have an area of struggle they need to work on, Lord, I pray that you would surround them with people that love you and can support them and care for them and encourage them. But Lord, I pray that my brothers and sisters in this room will run to you and follow you wholeheartedly. We love you so much, Lord. Thank you for being a good, love, and gracious God. In your name, amen.